Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Ramblin' Brews Podcast. This is episode two. I am your host, Rel. I want to start by giving a sincere thank you to everybody that listened to the first episode of the podcast, to people that enjoyed the podcast, people that reached out to me through tweets, through texts. It means the world to me. I appreciate the hell out of y'all. I never, ever thought anybody would give a rat's ass about anything I ever had to say. So it makes me feel good that people enjoyed the podcast. That's what I was looking for. People are looking forward to listening to the podcast. And I'm going to keep it going. We're hoping to have great conversations. Uh, We're hoping to just have a good time here and and drink some cold beer. And speaking of cold beer, let's go. But first things first. Congratulations are in order. The United States hockey team is once again atop the hockey world as they captured the gold medal in the World Juniors 2021 tournament by defeating the favored Canadians. You know those Canadians that I mentioned on the first episode that had 19 first-round picks? 19? The Americans dummied them. 2 nothing. It was an unbelievable game. I had a great time watching it. This team... I mean, this team is unbelievable to watch. And, and, and people that are on the fringe uh, fringe fans of hockey or maybe you know aren't fans of hockey or don't quite understand hockey, what you should do is watch one of these junior tournament games and, and some of this international play. This hockey is the way hockey is supposed to be played. Um, these, these guys, as I mentioned on the first episode, they're only worried about one thing. It's the gold medal. It's the crest, the flag on the front of their jersey, the symbol on the front of their jersey. They're not worried about who gets points. They're not worried about scoring. Sure, these guys are young. They're, most of them are already drafted, but a lot of them are, are, are trying to get drafted. And they're trying to make an impression on their clubs or potential uh, teams that will draft them. So I understand they want to do well. But at the end of the day, they want to win the gold medal. It was unbelievable to watch. From the drop of the puck, uh, we had Canada versus uh, the United States. The drop of the puck, the United States was all over them. And I and I hate cliches um, in sports because at the end of the day, these teams both want to win. Um, they both have pride. But it just looked like from the drop of the puck, the United States players wanted it more. They worked their ass off. They were hounding pucks. They were, you know, physical. They were getting... Uh, Traffic in front of the net. It was it was just incredible to watch. Um, this team, I mean, I'm so proud to, to be a USA Hockey fan. Um, Trevor Zegras was the player of the tournament. I mean, talk about a stud. This kid, seven goals, 11 assists, 18 points in seven games. Thanks for coming. Uh, shout out to the Anaheim Ducks for getting an absolute stud. And I saw a couple videos of this kid on Twitter uh, in, the, in the warm-ups of the games. I mean, the mitts on this kid, the kid... He's out there like, I don't even know. He he legitimately is the definition of having the puck on a string. Um, it's unbelievable, like to 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 just watch uh, the way that the USA hockey has evolved. As I mentioned from the first episode, I don't want to harp too much on that, but you know I think there's a bright future for USA hockey going forward. And uh, I know a lot of people have asked me, and and a lot of people have mentioned, well, hey, why can't they get it done in the Olympics? Why can't the U.S. win in the Olympics? Canada always wins. Canada always wins, or Russia, or Sweden, or Finland, whatever the case is. Well, just look out, because I think in a couple of years, I think a lot of these Canadian players um, on Olympic teams, and like I mentioned in the first episode, the Canadian teams, their B team is just nasty. I mean, they could just dummy almost every team with their B team, and. But I think a lot of these guys are getting old, and all these other countries are catching up. I mean, you look at Sweden, you look at Finland, they're always very competitive. Russia, 
you know, they usually, they're usually right there, but sometimes they fall off. I mean, but they've got a new uh, bench boss and Igor Larionov, the, um, the, the Russian, the Russian great, one of the, the Russian five for the Red Wings, one of the original uh, Russians to come over to the United States. I mean, the, the guy's a stud. I think their, their program's in good hands, but this USA team, I mean, the United States is really developing some nice hockey players. And I think in the future, as some of these uh, big-time Canadian players like Sidney Crosby and, and Jonathan Taves and John Tavares and those guys start to, to uh, go into retirement. I mean, I know the Canadians are still going to have Connor McDavid and Nathan McKinnon, but the United States is loaded. And I think the United States in 2022, I think that's when the next Olympic, Olympics is, um, they have a real shot to win gold. And, and I think they have a real shot to become one of the dominant countries, if not the dominant country in hockey uh, going forward. But there was a little bit of controversy in the World Junior Tournament game uh, at the end. The United States, with their celebration. Now, these are young kids. They're having a blast. But they they took their team picture on the ice. Now, mind you, it's against Canada. So every time Canada loses, there's lots of excuses. Um, you know, they, their best player wasn't allowed. Alexis Lafreniere is the best player that Canada would have had in the World Juniors. The New York Rangers, who drafted him, would not let him play in the World Juniors for fear of injury. I'll look at... Kirby Doc, who I mentioned last episode for the Blackhawks, who got injured in the World Juniors, so he's going to miss a majority of the NHL season. Um, so you can understand why some of these NHL teams don't want to send them, but I don't want to hear that shit. The United States, they played better. Um, during the game, I mean, the first 30 minutes, the U.S. dominated. It looked like the Canadians really just, they didn't, they didn't have an answer. So uh, the one thing I wanted to mention is, it's actually incredible, an incredible stat for the Canadians in this tournament. But coming into the gold medal game, they had not trailed a single second in the tournament. Unheard of. Uh, actually, not unheard of, but I think they've. it's only happened a couple times in the history of the tournament. They also, other than being 0-0 at the start of the game, they've never been tied. So they've always, in this tournament, they always scored the first goal, and they never gave up an equalizer. It was never tied after that. Like, think about that. That's just absurd. I mean, the, they score first. They never relinquish the lead. They never even tie a team. They're never trailing. So they never really face any adversity. Uh, that's that's the big thing. I know that's another cliche. I mean, we're cliche uh, going on cliches here the first few minutes of the podcast. But you hear a lot of people say in sports that it's always good to face a little bit of adversity. You know, you're down a little bit. You're down in the game. You're heading into the third period in hockey. You're down a goal. You got to come back. You got to fight for the win. And Canada, you know, no fault to their own. I mean, they just dominated everybody they were up against. But they never they never had to deal with that. And they, I know USA, the USA hockey team lost to Russia. I mentioned in the first episode, they kind of just didn't play a great game. And they're a much better team than that. I think they're a much better team than Russia, um, at least in this year's tournament. But the Canadians never really played a team like the United States. You know, they, they never had a matchup like that. So when USA came out firing, I mean, they scored into the first period. Uh, there was only one penalty in this game. It was against the United States. So it was a great game. It was an absolute great game to watch. The USA got a second goal. I think it was in the second period. And they really never looked back. But honestly, the Canadians really started to turn it on in the um, in the second period and into the third period. I mean, they were outchancing, you know, 3-4-1 to one to the United States. They were outshooting them. Um, they were putting on a clinic offensively. But Spencer Knight, he was absolutely incredible. I mean, this kid, he he put on a clinic. And it's crazy because... So he's a draft pick of the Florida Panthers in the NHL. But the Canadian goalie, uh, Devin Levi, I hope I'm getting the uh, pronunciation of his name right, 
And he he played a great game too. I mean, he only give up two goals with the firepower that the U.S. has, but he's also a Florida Panthers draft pick. So talk about a goalie factory that team is going to have. But holy shit! But this Spencer Knight kid, I mean, he could have easily, if it wasn't for Zegers uh, playing so well throughout the tournament and in the, the stats that I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, he he potentially could have could have won the MVP of the tournament. But but like I mentioned before, there was a little bit of a controversy at the end. So. The United States, they were posing for their picture. You know, they're celebrating after the fact, and they brought a barrel out, a blue barrel. So, like, I watch Moonshiners. It's one of my favorite shows um, on TV. So it kind of looked like a mashing barrel for Moonshine, right? Just a big tub, you know, whatever, a 50-gallon tub, whatever it was. They brought that out onto the ice for the picture, which I could understand how it, it kind of looks like a trash can, right? And they slapped the Hockey Canada logo on the side of this can or this barrel, and they took a picture with it. And, I mean, as you can probably understand, Canadian hockey Twitter and Canadian fans were just up in arms, absolutely just so pissed off about how disrespectful the United States could be. And it actually came out that it was an old story. I don't want to get into the nitty-gritty of the story, but it was about a desert, I guess, the... I don't know if it was the French, um, some some French story that the United States coach kind of put into their minds at the beginning of the tournament, where they were trying to cross the desert, and there had been you know 1,300 people that had perished in crossing that stretch of the Sahara Desert in previous years. So what they did to counter the lack of features in the terrain, uh, yeah, it was the French. The French had marked the track with black 55-gallon oil drums, five kilometers apart. Uh, exactly the distance to the horizon where the earth curved uh, away as you cross the flat wasteland. So because of this, you know, wherever we were in the daytime, wherever they were in the daytime, I should say, they could see two oil barrels, the one they had just passed and the one that was five kilometers ahead, and that was enough. And all they had to do was steer towards that next oil barrel. And as a result, they were able to cross the biggest desert in the world by simply taking it, quote, one barrel at a time. So that's what the USA did. That was kind of their motto for this tournament, one barrel at a time. So they had a barrel for each opponent they had. And the last barrel happened to be the Canadians. They happened to bring it out on the ice. And my personal opinion, I think it's a bad look. I understand I understand it's a bad look. It kind of looks like a trash can. But when you look at the, the story that they had put out even before the tournament had started, it makes a lot of sense, and I think it's just a lot of whiny Canadians. Hopefully, there's not a lot, any Canadian listeners to the podcast that are getting upset about that, but I think it's just they're very upset that they lost. I mean, this is – I saw a funny tweet, which is kind of sad for hockey in this country because, you know, in the United States, hockey, obviously, everybody knows it's not the most popular sport. But the USA is really good. I mean, they're a really good program, and they're up and coming in, like, almost – I would say probably the vast majority of the country didn't even know this tournament was happening. But this is like the end-all, be-all for Canada. So when they lose, it's like the end of the world, right? So I can understand their sentiment. I can understand how they're upset by it. Um, but, hey, I'm just happy to be a USA hockey fan. I can't believe how how much or, you know, how far they've come, as I mentioned on the first episode. And, and I'm stoked. And the USA, uh, to, to top it off here before we move on to the next topic, four World Junior Gold since 2010. That's the most that any other country has in that span so hell yeah let's go let's take a sip for usa hockey i wanted to get that out of the way first because that's the most important thing big victory for the boys uh, but also 
on this podcast. We've got a lot more to talk about. We've got the NHL season. The puck drops in two days. Holy shit. I never thought this day would get here, but I'm so excited. I can't fucking wait. Also, a little, a couple of notes here in hockey. A couple of retirements. A couple of teams um, acquiring some new players. So, you know, old faces but new places. I think that's pretty interesting. We'll, we'll touch on a little bit of that. I also want to touch on the, the ads on the helmets. I know that's a big that's a big thing with some of the uh, purists in hockey and, and people that don't particularly care for having ads on sports jerseys or sports helmets. We're going to talk about the the NFL playoff recap. Um, just an absolute awesome super wild card weekend. What a ridiculous name, by the way. You know they can't come up with a better name than that. But super wild card weekend. And uh, holy shit, what a letdown for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But we'll get to that. Also, I've received some movie suggestions that I mentioned that I wanted to uh, have that segment where I was going to watch some movies since I'm not very, uh, uh, I'm not very, you know, I haven't seen a lot of movies. Uh, I'm not big on movies. So I, I, I've received some requests to watch some movies and we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. I think that's going to be very interesting. And also... Uh, I've got I've got my first interview, my first interview on the podcast, the first interview in the Ramblin' Brews podcast. I've got my good buddy John Henderson coming on. He's a guitarist for the Chalk Dinosaur Band here in Pittsburgh, and he had some interesting takes on on the uh, beer uh, rant that I had on the first episode. And also, we're going to talk about his music, and I think you guys will really enjoy that. We're going to do some periodic interviews, and I, th- I had a great time. John's a great guy, good buddy of mine, and I, and I hope you guys will enjoy that. But but with that being said, I want to jump into the NHL. I cannot wait. The puck drops on Wednesday night, and what I wanted to do here is kind of give you can you can tag old takes exposed on Twitter. You can you you know you guys can roast me for these, but I wanted to give my predictions, and, and I'll go through each division. I'll name the, the the teams in each division, and I'll give you my top four teams. I think that are going to finish in each division just based on um, you know how I feel about going into the season. Now, there's a lot of things that could change. Uh, COVID could impact it. COVID's already impacted the Dallas Stars a little bit. Their opening night's being pushed back about a week. They've got a number of guys with COVID uh, and, and some COVID exposure. Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Columbus Blue Jackets have had a little bit of a potential COVID exposure. Uh, so they shut down facilities earlier this week. Uh, but I think they've been back. I know the Pittsburgh Penguins um, tonight, which is Sunday, I think they they had a, a, an inter squad scrimmage, so they they should they seem to be back to uh, operating under normal circumstances. But we'll hope that everybody can stay healthy, everybody can get their games in. There's not too many delays. Uh, but first, you know, I want to go through each division. So we'll start with the North Division. The North Division being all the Canadian teams. So just to name them all, just so you guys are aware, for anybody that's not familiar with the division realignment that they did, they did for this COVID uh, season, uh, we've got the Calgary Flames the Edmonton Oilers, the Montreal Canadiens, the Ottawa Senators, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Vancouver Canucks, and the Winnipeg Jets. This division is actually, you know, it's interesting. So all the hype, as I mentioned, is Toronto. They haven't won a Stanley Cup since 1967. They are the Dallas Cowboys, basically, of the NHL. Every year, everybody thinks they're going to be great, but at the end of the day, they usually flame out. They haven't won a playoff series since 2004. However, they are favored in this division. Um, I think they've got the best team in the division, but can they get it done? Can they get over the hump? It remains to be seen. Um, the Calgary Flames are an interesting team. The Edmonton Oilers, I think the Edmonton Oilers, uh, they have the best player in the league right up there with McKinnon, but they have Connor McDavid. They've got Leon Dreisaitl, the Hart Trophy winner from last year, the Art Ross Trophy winner from last year, being the MVP and the most points in the league. Um, 
And, and, and don't sleep on the Ottawa Senators. The Ottawa Senators are, you know, a couple years ago, 2017, they were a game away from making the Stanley Cup final when Chris Kunitz for the Penguins put them away in double overtime. And they really kind of just folded their team. I mean, they've they've gotten rid of a lot of their guys. I don't know how many guys they have left on that team still. It's maybe one or two. Uh, but they've got a lot of young pieces, and I think they're 10,000 to 1 to win the Stanley Cup. I uh, might throw a couple shekels on that because I think they, they've got a chance, especially in this division, the way this season plays out. You never know what could happen. Uh, those seem like pretty good odds to me. They've got a good young team, and they've got Matt Murray in goal. If Matt Murray can find his game, you never know what could happen. So my my uh, the top four teams, as I mentioned on the first episode, will make the playoffs. So what I'm going to go with is I think the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to finish first. I'm going to go with the Edmonton Oilers. I'm going to go with the Montreal Canadiens. And then I'm going to go with the Ottawa Senators to finish fourth. So we're going to have Toronto, Edmonton, Montreal, and Ottawa to finish uh, one through four. So those four will make the playoffs. And, I mean, I could be wrong. You never know. There's a lot of good teams that could be left out. I mean, you got Calgary's right up there, Vancouver. They're, you know, they're a good young team. So it should be interesting, but... Uh, we'll move on to the West Division, which is the the traditional Pacific Division, uh, with a couple of Central teams uh, sprinkled in there. But this is probably on paper the best division in the league, maybe up there with the East, um, but certainly the best the best um, division that would be in the traditional Western Conference. You've got the Anaheim Ducks, the Arizona Coyotes, the Colorado Avalanche, which Colorado is favored at plus seven fifty to win the Stanley Cup. You got the L.A. Kings, the Minnesota Wild, the San Jose Sharks the St. Louis Blues, and the Vegas Golden Knights. And I don't think there's any question who the three who three of the teams are going to be. Um, it's going to be Colorado, St. Louis, and Vegas. I think all the other teams are going to be fighting for the fourth spot. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to put the Minnesota Wild in there. I think uh, the Minnesota Wild are going to surprise some teams this year. Um, I don't know why. I just have I have a feeling, um, you know, they're really building something nice up there. they got some veterans, and they've got some young guys, and I think they can really, you know, they could probably thrive off this this uh, schedule, maybe not traveling as much. And I think they're going to get in. I think they're going to get in. So I could be totally wrong, but I think they're going to get in. Uh, the Central Division is the Carolina Hurricanes, the Chicago Blackhawks, the Columbus Blue Jackets, the Dallas Stars, the Detroit Red Wings, the Florida Panthers, the Nashville Predators, and the Tampa Bay Lightning. And this is by far the worst division. Um, I think Tampa Bay, I mean, they lucked out that they were left out of the East. They probably could sit out half their games and still still win this division. Um, obviously, I'm being sarcastic there, but I think they win this by a landslide. Uh, I think Florida is going to be better. So my four teams to pick for this uh, from this division to go into the playoffs will be the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Florida Panthers, the Carolina Hurricanes, and the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, so that should be interesting. And, and lastly, the East, uh, near and dear to my heart, the, the Pittsburgh Penguins. It's going to be tough to make the playoffs if you're a Penguins fan, but I'm never going to bet against Crosby. I'm never going to bet against Malkin. Um, I think this team is poised to to have another run or two before they before Malkin and Crosby ride off into the sunset. But to name the teams, you've got the Boston Bruins, the Buffalo Sabres, the New Jersey Devils, the New York Islanders, the New York Rangers, the Philadelphia Flyers, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and the Washington Capitals. Um, it's it, this division's crazy. So you've got Boston and Washington in the same division now. Zdeno Chara just left the Boston Bruins after 14 seasons. He spent four seasons in. Um, Ottawa, four seasons in on Long Island with the Islanders, 
in 14 seasons with the Bruins. So he's been around a long time. He was a captain for a long time. He won a Stanley Cup in Boston. He's beloved in Boston. I think a lot of Boston fans are pretty upset that he's not uh, potentially going to retire a Bruin, but he feels like he's got a lot left in the tank. So I'm interested to see how that goes. And he jumped over to Washington, and I bet those guys in Washington are, are stoked to have him. I mean, have that veteran presence. Um, it does make them the oldest team in the league on average age, as I mentioned on the first podcast. But I think that veteran leadership you know, could really go a long way for this team. Um, I think they'll get in the playoffs. I think the top four teams in this division, and this is a toss-up because I think all these teams have a legitimate shot. I mean, this year, it's a prove-it year for Buffalo. It's a prove-it year for Jack Eichel. I think if, if Jack Eichel uh, doesn't make the playoffs and his team's not very good, I, I, he's the captain there. He's the best player there. He's unbelievable. Great player, top 10 player in the league. I think he will... Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, and I don't even know if it's going out on a limb. I've heard this a lot, but I think he'll demand a trade from the Buffalo Sabres if they don't make the playoffs this year. He's just wasting his career away in Buffalo, if that's the case. Uh, the New Jersey Devils, I think they're maybe a year or two away. The Islanders are, are a solid team. They just re-signed Matt Barzell, their top restricted free agent. Uh, three years, $7 million a year. Um, incredible deal for him. So the way it works out, he'll still be a restricted free agent uh, coming off the end of his deal. And in that restricted salary amount is based on the last year of your contract. So the way he structured his contract, I think he's making like twelve million or ten million somewhere in there. His last year of this deal, um, I know it it averages out to seven million a year, but it's there's different amounts uh, of salary each year per the pay that the player gets. So he's going to get a big ticket. I don't see him re-signing in New York after that unless they you know they win a, a cup or two. Um, but so in the Rangers, the Rangers are a great young team. They've got a lot of pieces. They just got the first pick in the draft, uh, Alexis Lafreniere. Uh, they've got Artemi Panarin. You look at the Flyers, they're a young team uh, with some veteran leadership, similar to the Penguins. So I think my top four teams in this division, and this might surprise some people, but I think it's going to be, I think Philadelphia, and it pains me as hell to say this, I think the Philadelphia Flyers will win the division. Uh, I think the Penguins, I think the uh, Boston Bruins, and I think the Buffalo Sabres will make the playoffs. I'm I'm thinking the Capitals are, are going to miss and the Islanders are going to miss. Buffalo, like I said, it's a prove-it year for them. So I'm interested to see how this goes. I can't wait for the puck to drop. And anything could happen. COVID could impact any team. There's injuries always in the NHL. Um it's gonna be awesome to watch. You know, I, I, I can't wait. I can't wait till we can get fans back in the building. Um, if that happens this year. Um, on that note, there are four teams right now of the NHL's 31 clubs that will have some fans in attendance uh, for the season. you got the Arizona Coyotes. They've got a 25% cap, which is 3,450 fans in their building. Dallas, you've got a 30% cap at 5,000 fans, although that could change because they actually had that, as I mentioned earlier, they had the COVID outbreak. Um, so it's possible that they uh, potentially revisit that. For, at least for the time being. And then, of course, the two Florida teams, Tampa Bay, 23% cap, 3,900 fans, and, and the Florida Panthers, 25% cap, uh, 5,000 fans down there in Sunrise, Florida. So um, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Uh, as far as for my fanhood, the Pittsburgh Penguins, um, we're not going to play any of those teams that have fans, at least to start. So it's going to be interesting to watch. Um, I know the bubble wasn't so bad, but not having the fans there really does take away from the game. I think it really does impact the how the viewers view the game um as you know you don't really think that 
whenever you're, you know, you take it for granted, the fans being there, but they really do. The pop of the crowd when the goals go in or big hits or uh, big chances, stuff like that, it's all part of the game. So hopefully we can get to the point where we can get more fans in the buildings and, and more fans in each building, um, not just these four. Um, but, yeah, and the other big uh, story in the NHL is this year – let me take a sip here real quick. A little ice cold Coors Light. And before we get to that too, I, I want to talk about um, you know some of the some of the players that changed teams. I know I just mentioned Zdeno Chara. I did want to mention that Corey Crawford, the longtime goalie for the Chicago Blackhawks, uh, did retire. Great career, outstanding career, two Stanley Cups, uh, 488 games I believe uh, played, which is incredible. He was he he reminds me a lot of Mark Andre Fleury in a sense where he wasn't the best goalie, um, you know he had times where he had he had some bad games, some bad moments, um, but he was very very solid, a, a good goalie I would say. He wasn't the best, um, but he played on great teams that you know more than made up for it. Um, so I think he was one of the more underrated goalies, and you could say that about Flurry too. I don't think you know those two goalies were never really ever going to be in the conversation for a Vezina Trophy, which would be the best goalie in the NHL. I don't think those teams were ever going to be in that conver- or those goalies were ever going to be in that conversation. Um, that's just not who they are. But they were very very solid and good enough to to get the job done with their you know the teams they had in front of them. Um, so he retires. He had two uh, major concussions and some brain um, issues. He fought back. He played a little bit last year. Played in the playoffs. Played pretty well. Um, but his statement, he basically just mentioned, you know, hey, I've given everything I can to the game of hockey. Uh, he's got two little kids. So hey, more power to him. Congratulations on an outstanding career. Um, Alex Petrangelo, who was longtime captain for the St. Louis Blues, moved on to play for the the Vegas Golden Knights, and what a wagon they're they're they've got. I mean, my God, um, they moved some pieces out, and they might yet have to move some pieces out before Wednesday to get cap compliant. Um, but I mean, that's a huge get for them. He was the captain in St. Louis, won a Stanley Cup there. Um, you know, one of the most notable St. Louis Blues of recent history. And, and Tory Krug, I mean, speaking of Petrangelo moving on, Tory Krug um, left from Boston. So I mentioned Zdeno Char leaving from Boston. Now Tory Krug leaves from Boston. He actually joined and kind of filled Alex Petrangelo's spot there in St. Louis. So we'll see how they do. He's a little bit different player, a little smaller, but uh, you know, definitely a dynamic player. So I'm interested to see how that works. And um, you know, on that note too, like with the NHL, I did want to talk about the ads. So you know, these teams in every sport really, but with COVID, the NHL more than anything, they lost a lot of money. So the NHLs they rely on the gate. They rely on ticket sales. They rely on concessions. They rely on jersey sales, things like that for revenue. I mean, 65% of their revenue, I believe, comes from the gate, comes from ticket sales, comes from having fans in the building. That's why you see some of these teams that are trying to get fans in the building now. They need, you know, they need the revenue. Um, different from other leagues like the NBA and the NFL, where they have massive TV contracts. I, I don't know the exact number, but I want to say the the NBA's TV contract is like $2 billion over 10 years, whereas the NHL's uh, TV contract is about, eh, I'd say about $100 million or so over 10 years. So it's a massive difference. And if those numbers are off, it's just slightly off, but it's a massive difference. So they heavily, heavily rely 
on having fans in the building. So what they're trying to do now is they, they weren't able to finish the season last year with fans in the building. They missed out on a lot of playoff revenue. Um, the U.S. TV contract, the United States TV contract is coming up at the end of this offseason. So what they're trying to do is make back some revenue that they can. And they've decided to put uh, ads on the helmets. And it's been met with a lot of backlash online. I think the traditional hockey purists hate it. But hear me out on this. Like when you watch a hockey game, are, are the boards not already like a walking billboard? I mean, every couple, you know, inches, there's a, another ad. And some of the buildings even have, like, the screens that change ads in the middle. You know, the first period, it has an ad for a tire company. The second period, it has an ad for real estate. And third period, it has an ad for Dunkin' Donuts or something, you know, no free ads. But, you know, so I don't I don't see what the big deal is. Uh, it It's all over the ice, too. They've got four logos on the ice. If they want to put a little logo on the helmet, that's fine. My big gripe with it is just like kind of out of a business perspective. Like, so for instance, the Penguins helmet logo is atrocious. It's absolutely brutal. It's a big blue logo for PPG paints. It's massive. It's huge. You would think they would be able to do a little bit smaller logo or maybe even color coordinate it with the teams. But no, the Penguins are black and gold and they've got a bright blue logo on their helmet. Um, but most of the teams, just like the Penguins, most of the teams use their whoever has the rights, the naming rights to their arena. So the Penguins, for instance, are PPG Paints Arena. Uh, I know the Capitals, they've got Capital One Arena, so they have the Capital One logo. Um, Toronto, they've got Scotiabank. Um, that's the name of their arena, the Scotiabank Arena. You know, I'm interested to see what the Red Wings looks like because the Red Wings, if they even do it, I know not every team has done it, but I, I, I can't see the traditional Red Wings, the original six, with their, they haven't changed their logo at all over the course really of their entire existence as a franchise, but putting the Little Caesars uh, logo on their helmet would be pretty funny to me. But, you know, I think if it's going to drive revenue to the to the league and to the teams, I think it's fine. I mean, you're never really going to notice it. Um and I think people are worried about it being a slippery slope where you start getting, you know, you start looking like the Swedish Elite League and you look like the leagues over in Europe where they've got four, you know, they have Geico logos, no free ads again, but they have Geico logos all over the posts um, of the goals. They have logos on the nets. They've got logos behind the net. The jerseys, you can't even tell what team they're playing for because they've got so many logos uh, for different advertisements. Um, so, you know... But I, I don't think it's that big of a deal, to be honest. I really don't. I think if it can drive revenues for the league, I think it's a one-year thing, um, especially on the helmet. And maybe they put a little bit of little logo on the sweater, uh, whatever. I mean, it's not that big a deal. I don't think that it's going to end up like uh, soccer teams in, in Europe where they're going to have Chevrolet on their jersey instead of the symbol for their team. I don't think they're going to have that. Um, I think it's just people, you know, bitching for something to bitch about. And these teams are paying these guys 10 12 13 million dollars a year and they've got no fans coming in i mean i know as as much as it you know as people think these billionaires just have tons of money which they do but they need to have money coming in to continue to make these contract payments so i don't think it's that big of a deal but i just wanted to touch on that because i did want to mention the penguins is by far yeah the athletic did a um did a rank from 1 to 31 for the worst i didn't happen to look at it but i can't imagine the Penguins not being last. It's a massive PPG logo. If you haven't seen it, I'll tweet it out at Rambling Brews on Twitter. Um, it's absolutely ridiculous how big it is. But at the end of the day, whatever. I mean, they're playing hockey. I don't care what it takes. If they're able to play hockey, they want to make some revenues back. Maybe it's just a short-term thing. But, hell, that's fine with me. I'm going to start making some gambling. Um, you know, next episode, I'll, next episode I'll have some gambling on the podcast. Um 
you know, some picks I'm thinking for each week. Could be in any sport. Could be the NFL playoffs. Uh, could be in, in the NHL, the NBA, Major League Baseball. Will be kicking off here in a couple months, unfortunately. Uh, but we'll we'll put some bets on that. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. But growing up in Pittsburgh, it's tough to even remotely care about Major League Baseball because our team doesn't seem to care about it. But um, you know that that that's that. Uh, I cannot wait. I can't wait to get going. And especially with tonight, and this is a nice segue here, but was this the most Pittsburgh Steelers game you've ever watched? So I don't know how many of my listeners out there are big Steelers fans or have been watching the Steelers over the years, but this is the most Steelers game, in my opinion. The Browns had their head coach missing. I think they had an offensive lineman missing and a couple other players missing. They weren't able to practice all week, maybe one day. They they drive in or fly into Pittsburgh, and they come out here and they just absolutely dummy the Steelers. They put a beat down. What did they score, 35 points, 28 points in the first quarter? I mean, it was an absolute shellacking, just an absolute joke uh, of a performance. Once again, Mike Tomlin outcoached. Uh, I saw a hilarious tweet, actually, a uh, big pop from me. It said, Mike Tomlin's being outcoached by a coach that isn't even there. <laughs> And it really is, and, you know, it's sad. It's sad. I mean, the Steelers, I think they're they're in a very bad position once Ben Roethlisberger retires, but I think, you know, unfortunately, I think it's time for him to move on. I mean, he's due $41 million next year. He played well the first few games of the season, but is he really looking like a $41 million quarterback? I don't think so. I think maybe the Steelers, you know, maybe take a couple of years, try to sit, step back, maybe find their game, find a quarterback, maybe draft one this year. Um, because I don't think they're anywhere close to a Super Bowl team. I think a lot of those wins, whereas in in years past they would have lost those games, the short uh, or the close games that are you know maybe you know one score game or three points here, you know seven points here. They won a lot of those games this year, and that can happen. A lot of times, good teams find ways to win, but I think the Steelers were more of a fraud this year. Um, I don't think they really had any chance of of beating the Chiefs um, or the Bills, really. I know they played the Bills pretty decently in the regular season, but in the, in the playoffs, I think they were going to get dummied. Um, even the Ravens, I think the Ravens probably would dummy them too. Um, it's just, it's unbelievable. The other games around the league, uh, mostly most of the favorites won. Um, Buffalo beat the Colts. Uh, I think they're a great team. You know, you've got Kansas City just sitting there waiting uh, I think they're going to play Cleveland now that Cleveland beat the Steelers. So Cleveland versus Kansas City, I think that'll be an absolute shellacking by the Chiefs. Um, I'm hoping so. Um, and then you've got the the Ravens playing the Bills. So that's in the AFC because the Ravens did beat the Titans. That was one of the best games of the day. I, I think that was the best game by far of the day. I mean, it was interesting to watch. The, the Titans really couldn't get the running game going. Um, the Ravens really didn't look great in the first half, but Lamar Jackson picked it up. He's very dynamic. Um, he had a big, long touchdown run um, in the, I think it was in the third quarter, second quarter, to make it to, to tie it up. I know I, I saw on the broadcast they hadn't come back. They're the only team in the NFL that hadn't come back in over four years from being down 10 points in a game at any point. Uh, so I think that was pretty cool. They did that today. They came back, so they're going to match up with the Bills, and then you're going to have the Browns playing the Chiefs. So that's the AFC uh, divisional round set there. And then um, on Saturday, you had the Buccaneers, you know, holding off the Washington football team. I thought Washington had a had a good game. I and mean, their quarterback, he came in, you know, Alex Smith was inactive, and Dwayne Haskins, as we all know, was waived earlier than the season. Um 
you know, they played well. I think they showed a lot of heart. They've got some they've got some promise for that team. I know they haven't had a lot of success in recent years, but they've got some young players and I think if they can um, you know, first thing hopefully they can find a, a name for their team. But if they can, you know, kind of surround their their young studs like Chase Young and maybe get some some uh, more dynamic offensive players and solidify the quarterback position. They've got a bright future down there in uh, Landover, Maryland. Um, uh, the Washington football team does, but the Buccaneers move on. Tom Brady, I saw a stat where he's he's uh, now beaten 17 different teams in the playoffs, which is an NFL record, which is an absolutely absurd record. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt in the world he's the greatest of all time, best quarterback to ever play. Uh, and then the Saints uh, beat the Bears. I think that was a given, although the Saints have, have choked up a little bit in recent years in playoffs, but I don't think the Bears even really had any business being in the playoffs, in my opinion. Um, they earned it, yeah, but the Saints beat them 21-9. to So, and, and then also the, the Rams, what a big upset. Uh, I, one thing I always say is, so I watch a lot of sports radio, or I watch a lot of um, sports TV and listen to a lot of sports radio, and the Seahawks are usually the darlings. Everyone rants and raves about Russell Wilson and how he's one of the best quarterbacks to ever play and blah, 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 and I'm not saying he's not. But they really haven't done much uh, in recent years. I mean, the years that they were winning Super Bowls or going to the Super Bowls, I know they should have won too. They lost to New England on that ridiculous play call by Pete Carroll, but we won't go there. But the um, you know they really won that one Super Bowl based on their defense, the Legion of Boom. They were just nasty. I mean, Cam Chancellor, you had uh, Richard Sherman. You know they they were they were a stud defensive uh, defensive unit. But they really haven't done much, and and, and they got upset by the Rams at home. Um, I know there's not really fans in the game, so it's hard to say like, oh, they got beat at home. You know, home home uh, field advantage didn't really make a difference. But at the end of the day, the Rams traveled up there. Uh, they kicked their ass, 30 to 20. Uh, played a good game, and then as I mentioned before, the Bills they beat the Colts in an un- unbelievable game. Um, you know, a, a tight back and forth game, some controversial calls, but I think the better team won that one. Um, but I did, I do think the Colts showed some chinks in the Bills armor. I think the middle of the field is a big, uh, question mark for the Bills on defense. I, I think the Colts tight ends ate them up. And I think if you, if a team can work the middle of the field and you'll see what the, we'll see what the, um, Ravens can do. I think the Ravens can, can go in and they can, they potentially could exploit that. And I think, you know, with Lamar Jackson being so dynamic, it's going to be an interesting interesting matchup. But just to reiterate, the matchups for the NFL divisional round will be the L.A. Rams will travel to Green Bay uh, to play the Packers. Aaron Rodgers, which should be the MVP of the league, I think uh, I think he's going to, you know, be able to pull it off there. I think they'll, they'll win that game. Um, I think they're going to win that game handedly, to be honest with you. So I got the Packers in that game. Um, like I mentioned, you've got the Bills and the Ravens. I'm actually going to go with Baltimore. I think Baltimore is going to beat the Bills. I think Baltimore is poised to make a run here. I think Lamar Jackson's focused. He's been saying for weeks now that he wants to prove everybody wrong, that he can't win a playoff game. Uh, so I think they're going to go up to uh, Orchard Park up there in New York, and they're going to get the job done. Um, and then I think Cleveland versus Kansas City is going to be interesting. I think Kansas City at times this year has looked like they're beatable, but other times they look like the best team that's ever been um, assembled. So I think that's going to be a tight game, uh, probably to the fourth quarter, but I think Kansas City will pull that one out. And then uh, I think Tampa Bay is going to beat the Saints. I think the Saints ultimately just can't really match up, but you got Tom Brady, the experience. You've got so many good players offensively for Tampa Bay. Their defense is pretty solid. 
Uh, I think they'll get the job done. So I think the NFC Championship will be Tampa Bay versus Green Bay. I'm just praying for that matchup to watch Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady in the playoffs will be an unbelievable must-see TV event. And then I think it's going to be Kansas City and Baltimore. Um, I know a lot of people would like to see Kansas City and Buffalo. I just don't think Buffalo is going to get the job done. So um, next next week on the podcast, we'll see what happens with my predictions. Um, if I'm way wrong, we'll laugh about it, and then we'll we'll assess going forward. But you know, I think I think those are some potentially uh, good picks there. So we'll see how it goes. But uh, and next week we'll revisit and we'll determine who we think is going to win the AFC Championship, who's going to win the NFC Championship, and ultimately who's going to play for the Super Bowl. Um, so you know, I'm looking forward to it. The season's winding down. The games are getting good. The NHL season's kicking off, and uh, you know it's it's going to be a great time. And right now too. So the first episode I did mention, uh, I, I did have a little bit of a rant on on beer. So um, I had my my good buddy, the guitarist for Chalk Dinosaur, uh, John Henderson, been buddies with him for a long time. Uh, reach out to me. He had some good points. So you know, I said, hey, what's better than having you come on the show and being the first guest. So the first guest in Ramblin' Brews podcast history, we'll send it over to John Henderson now. Ladies and gentlemen, the first guest on the Rambling Brews podcast is one of my best buddies. We go back about 10 years. He's a dope guitarist in the Chalk Dinosaur band here in Pittsburgh, PA, who just dropped an album, Spectrum, on New Year's Eve. And I've got to tell you, I was just vibing to it earlier with my wife and we really enjoyed it. He's a fellow Coors Light fan, however with a twist, which we'll get into later. And lastly, he's one of the most chill Laid-back guys I know, my good buddy, Mr. John Henderson. How's it going, boss? Thanks for joining the Ramblin' Brews podcast. What's going on, man? Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. First guest is a lot of pressure, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. It's it's actually uh, you know my first podcast, too, so as a guest. you know, yeah. I've never hosted one either, so it's my first podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, I guess the first thing I want to get into is uh, what I'll ask every guest, but kind of the theme of the, of the podcast around the Rambling Brews is, um, you know, what are you sipping on over there? So I got uh, a Southern Tier uh, Lakeshore Fog. It's like a hazy juicy ipa <laughs> one of my favorites yeah very on brand for the for this podcast from the <laughs> from the first episode but exactly uh, yeah that's kind of what i wanted to get into because i actually did so for those who listened to the first episode and any potentially new listeners um the first episode i had a, a monologue or a rant if you want to call it about what i deemed the societal war against domestic beer <laughs> and uh by by that i mean that you know it, it's frowned upon in society at least when you go out or you get people giving you dirty looks and stuff when you go up and just order a Coors Lighter or you order um, a domestic beer like that just one of those standard beers and you're not ordering some crazy IPA with some name and that's just like 10 words long and all this you know coffee in it and stuff like that I, so uh i did have some people reach out to me that some of them were a little bit more hostile than others, but I thought you had a good response. I wanted to get into that. I mean, what are your, what are your thoughts, I guess, on my uh, my rant from the first episode around around that uh, societal yeah. war on domestic beer? Yeah, I mean, you, you make uh, good points for sure. I, I, I think it depends where you go, too. Um, you know, like if you're, let's say, at a local brewery, um, you know, they make their own beer. They have a lot of craft beers and imported stuff. And you order just like a domestic lager, pilsner, whatever, you might get those dirty looks. I, I you know, I get that. There's probably right. a lot of beer snobs there. But if you're at like a dive bar, or just a, a sports bar, what have you, um, not like a, a brewery, right? I, I think 
you might not get those looks. So I think it might depend on the crowd. Um, but for sure, I mean, there's a lot of beer snobs out there. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. I, I, I didn't, I didn't think about it that way. I think, um, I, I guess for me, it's not going to change. Like my personal preference is Coors Light. So mm-hmm. if they're, it doesn't matter if I'm at, you know, a bar, um, you know, some like the hipster bar or something like that, or if I'm at Buffalo Wild Wings, I'm going to try to get yeah. the same beer. So that's kind of probably where my experience comes in, but that's a good point because, you know, if they're if you go to a place where they have nothing but IPAs, which I've been to um, some of your shows in the past two places in Pittsburgh that have just those types of beers, mm-hmm. um, it's tough to find like you know something that I, that I really like. But I I don't, I don't want to sound like I don't like IPAs because I I do. It's just hey, I, they're not for everyone. <laughs> yeah, it, I'm not going to turn one down. But if if I have you know if somebody offers me and said hey try this or hey I brewed this or something, um, you know I'll, I'll certainly try it. But my preference would be if I'm paying for it you know i, I want to get the the cores lighter or whatever i enjoy yeah so, yeah i think i think that's the biggest thing too is like what what's your personal preference like for me um it, it wasn't ipas at first my brother got me into uh like hoppy craft beers uh you know i think it was my, my freshman year in college we'd go to um penn state football games or i'd go to his right. place because we both uh lived in state college at the time and uh you know, I couldn't buy beer, so he provided the beer, and all he ever had was hoppy beers, and I hated them at first. <laughs> I, I would have preferred, you know, a pilsner or a lager. That that's just what I was used to, you know. Right. To, that's what you start drinking first. Usually, right. You just drink the cheapest option you could find whenever you're yeah, you're like in natty college. light and shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, he that's all he had was hoppy beers. I didn't like them at first, but the more I drank them, the more I got a taste for them. And I, I truly attribute my taste preference for these kind of beers was you know, due to him. So you know, shout out to Tony out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, big shout out to Tony. Um, <laughs> I think there's so many there's so many options. That's the big thing with me is, I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds oh, of yeah. you know, craft beers. And you just go into a beer distributor that has those types. Of, I mean, it's impossible to even figure out, like, you know, you just have to go in and randomly try one that has – you know, a taste profile that you think you might like. Right. So I think that's probably my, my biggest thing is like, I've just haven't gone, I haven't branched out to drink that um, or to even try that. I kind of just have what I like. And you know, that's my, my preference, as you mentioned. Right. Um, the other thing, it's a good segue. Cause I, I did get um, an interesting uh, proposition from somebody for, for a segment on the podcast. Um, shout out to my brother-in-law, Andrew. He had a, he had a good, uh, you know, a, a good segment that I could go and, and get recommendations from people um, and then get, you know, and maybe every couple of weeks I'll oh, sample, yeah. I'll sample a like idea. a different IPA that's popular that I haven't had. Um, and then kind of just give my honest feedback on it, not being negative or anything, but just to kind of, you know, see, see what it is that people like about it. And I think it is like an acquired taste. Right. So like it would take a lot of time and, um, you know, it's just, just something I haven't done. So I was, in, I, it was interesting cool to idea. me how, how you, uh, you know, when you reached out to me and two, like my other point in in the, my rant was, and I don't know if I, I got it over, um, as much as I, I, I could have, but you, you brought it up to me after the fact, and I thought it was interesting and you could touch on it, but how, like maybe a lot of people that are, are trying to support the local breweries and stuff don't really realize that, that they're actually, the, the beers that they like are actually now brewed or at least owned by these big conglomerate right. uh, beer distributors or, or, uh, beer companies, Anheuser-Busch and, and Molson being a couple, but I don't know if you can touch on that, just kind of that aspect of it. I think that's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you 
we're, we've all seen the trends with local breweries popping up all over the place. And it's just in Pittsburgh alone in the South Hills where you'd never expect to see microbreweries. There's like five around here. Right, right. It's crazy. So, I mean, they're, they're popping up everywhere and, you know, it's cool. It, it gives people um, a different place to go. They usually have good food. Obviously, they have uh, lots of different types of beer, cool environments. But, um, yeah, I think the point I was trying to make was um, with with craft beer being such a big rising thing, uh, a lot of these big beer companies, I think the biggest two are Anheuser-Busch and Molson. Right. They've been, I'm sure they've been feeling the pressure. Um, maybe it's not a big hit to their revenues, but uh, I'm sure they're seeing it. Um, you know, that say, maybe sales are down a little bit or they're having to spend more on advertising to get the sales where they want them to be. Right. So, they've been they've been kind of like acquiring the some of the craft beer market and i i guess that's that could be debated the pros and cons for quite a while but my two cents is i kind of like supporting the underdog you know um your family-owned local brewery you know that's kind of cool that you get to go drink beer at the place where it's made and they really care about it. Like they're passionate about what they're doing there. So I, I think that's what I appreciate most about the local craft beer market. And it irks me a little bit when the big beer companies kind of like just try to gobble that up and take all the market share, you know, like uh, yeah, that, that's that's borderline, like approaching a, a monopoly or something like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, I feel like there's probably some sort of... Um... I don't know anybody personally that's in that, you know, I know some people that brew their own beer, but nobody that really sells it or has a microbrewery or anything like that. But mm-hmm. I think it's probably, you know, they would look at it as a sellout to someone that does that, um, that someone, you know, there's pros and cons to that too. I mean, you're going to get a big payday or you're going to yeah. get royalty oh, kickbacks. Sure. Um, and potentially you could start, you know, brewing different beers with that money or you can, you know, do whatever you want with, with your family and your business. It could change your life. Absolutely. Um, Cause on, on a different, you know, another alcohol related note, you know, with, with moonshine and stuff like that, you see that a lot now where moonshine's going more, mm. um, like commercial and they're having these distilleries and stuff like that, but it's not the same, um, as the backwoods moonshine. And I think a lot of the backwoods yeah. moonshine people and the people that pass it down from generation to generation, and the same can be said for, for beer brewing. Um, you know, ideally they would like to keep those, you know, it, it's just a double-edged sword where you, you could, you could if you could sell it to Anheuser Busch, mm-hmm. now you might have your beer, and you're getting depending on what the deal you signed is. You could have your beer all across the world instead of just like you mentioned, maybe in, in the Pittsburgh area or in one state or the tri-state area. So there's pros and cons to each. But the one point too about the the big True. companies is they like you you already mentioned with they don't make it with the same passion, and they they maybe um, you know cut corners a little bit on some of the ingredients or mm-hmm. whatever the case is to try to try to save money wherever they can. So it definitely does change the taste of beer, um, you know, taste of those beers. But I think if I was in that position and I had a chance for a big beer company, you know, I, I would definitely strongly consider because depending on how much money you're going to make off it, it could definitely change your life. And then you potentially could, you know, focus on different beers or, um, you know, different business ventures, things like that. So, yeah, uh, I just thought that was an interesting point that you made that, um, you know, I was glad you brought that up. Oh yeah. And, and, you know, I, it's not like I exclusively only drink, local craft 
beers. You know, I'm like for instance, Southern Tier. I was just looking up a little bit about who owns them because I, I I thought they were private, but it turns out they're not. They're owned by Craft Revolution LLC, which is also associated with some New York City hedge fund. Um, <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so I mean, you know, that's crazy. Southern Tier, they have a place here in Pittsburgh. It's um, they they brew here in Pittsburgh, but they also their main brewery is in uh, New York. I think it's right. Lakewood, Lakewood, New York. Great, right. great brewery. Have you ever been there? I haven't, but I've, I've, I know. It sounds like you've been up there, but I, I've heard some awesome uh, stories about how great that place is and how cool it is. Yeah, it's it's awesome. And if you ever get a chance to go up there, it's right near uh, Lake Chautauqua. So um, get a lake house and you know go to the brewery. It's it's great. Oh, um, that'd be awesome. That, that sounds like the first trip I want to make. Maybe after <laughs> we're a lot out of the house here in Pennsylvania. Yeah, seriously. But um, yeah. So Southern Tier, there you go. Like it's it's owned by a private equity firm and <laughs> some holding company. You know, it's, <laughs> like is that a is that a craft brew? Is that a local craft brew? I mean, I guess there's different arguments there. Right. And and you you do uh, you did mention that you do drink Coors Light and like uh, Michelob Ultra and yeah, stuff. So yeah. you know. I, I like to hear that. I like to hear that. Some other, uh, some fellow friends of mine that, that like the same beers as me. Um, so uh, I told you, uh, Coors Light and Michelob Ultra. I like those for light beers, and um, you know we'll we'll talk about the band in a little bit, I guess. But um, playing shows, you know, going to shows or going to summer music festivals, that's like my go-to light beer is Coors Light. Um, it's just, I, I started doing it and it just became a tradition and, you know, I like Coors Light. So, uh, during the day listening to music, um, you know, it's, it's a beer that tastes good and it's, it's not going to like knock you on your ass after five beers. Right. (laughs) It's the perfect day drink beer. That's the way I put it. Like, yeah. Or, you know, exactly. You, you can have, you could honestly probably have, depending on who you are, I mean, you can have seven, eight, 10 of them and they're, it's only 4.2%. I think it's. And it, you get to joke all the time. It's all you. You might as well drink water. You know, everyone says that about Coors Light, but yeah. that's just it. Like it's refreshing. Um, it's made to chill. I think that's their slogan. But it's always <laughs> ice cold, and that's just you blues know. the Rockies. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Rocky Mountain cold, baby. But yeah, so you know, I, I wanted to touch on that because that was kind of a follow up from the first episode, and I thought it was interesting. So um, you know, some of the points that we just discussed there in, in the rebuttal, I guess, of um, the IPA drinkers versus you know the people like me so i did want to pivot to as you mentioned before your um your your music career as i mentioned uh you're the guitarist in the chalk dinosaur band uh mm-hmm. currently i wanted to talk a little bit about how you got into music um uh, did you have people in your family that were in music i know your brother is in a band as well um yep so kind of just your background on that like what what made you uh have so much interest in that and then when did you start playing instruments and things like that yeah yeah um so my my parents had a piano it was um i think it was like a stein steinhauer piano just like an upright piano not like a grand or baby grand okay and uh as you know i, I must have been probably like five or six or seven I, I would just like sit at the piano and play melodies and i i loved it so eventually my mom got me some piano lessons but those were kind of boring. It was with like this 80 year old woman <laughs> like, <laughs> teaching me chords and scales and, you know, shit I wasn't interested in. <laughs> uh, looking back, I wish I'd paid more attention, but I think my parents knew that I was interested in music. And then it wasn't until 
eighth grade, um, one of my classmates had a, he was into guitar. Um, I became friends with him and he, he lent me his acoustic guitar and I just like played that thing for, you know, like a month straight and and, I eventually gave it back. But, um, also at the same time, my brother was deeply into music as like a singer songwriter. And, um, you know, my brother's nine years older than me. So obviously looked up to him a lot as a big brother and I'd always hear him like in his, in his room at home, just playing and recording. Um, and you know, he's very talented too. So I looked up to him and that just like really got me interested in guitar to like keep going with it. Uh, yeah. And just ever since then I fell in love with it and play it all the time. (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty awesome. I mean, it's it's cool, I guess. I, I I guess I didn't know. I didn't realize your brother was that much older than you. But that's cool that, you know, he's like the the guinea pig, you know, learning everything and whether he's taking lessons, whatever the case is, and then he can kind of you can watch him and learn mm-hmm. from watching him or you know playing together and stuff. Um, that's pretty awesome. It's some cool bond to have with your brother. Um, yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Like we'd get together and jam, you know, just try to come up with stuff together. And he gave me some tips, you know, coming up early playing guitar. Actually, it's funny because uh, his guitar teacher um, turned out to be my guitar teacher, and it was like just like a coincidence that it happened. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. So that that was pretty cool. Years later, I was like, "Hey, uh, my guitar teacher Rick said he taught you too." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty awesome. I mean, you guys, it's it's just bananas to me. I I don't know. I I don't have like the the brain capacity and like the hand, I just I don't know know how anyone does that and just. You know, watching people. I, I saw um, on uh, Chalk Dinosaur's Twitter at Chalk Dinosaur. By the way, if you want to check them out, I think it's at Chalk Dinosaur on Instagram too, right? Yeah. Yep. So check those out. But um, I think they actually posted a video of you just shredding for like a few minutes from uh, like oh, yeah. just sessions from your most recent album. And I was just watching it earlier before we came on. Yeah, that like, that was that was nice of John to do that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, damn, like It's pretty. It's impressive as hell, man. I think it's awesome. Um, Thanks. So that's that's interesting, just how you got into it. I wanted to know that, and then with Chalk Dinosaur too. Like, how did you how did you get into that band? Because I did, I was looking up them a little bit too, um, doing a little bit more research on them, and they've been around for quite a while, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, it, it's interesting. Chalk Dinosaur um, is actually well, it started as one one guy. So his name I mentioned John. It's John O'Halloran, um, and he came up with the name. I think it was in two thousand and nine. Mm-hmm. He started uh, recording music, so it was just him at first. Um, bit of background on him: he's a Pittsburgh music producer, and like that's his his day job. He produces music for um, you know various things like TV shows, commercials. Uh, he, he's kind of like contracted by this company, and so um, that he, as a music producer, you know, he's obviously playing music all day, and then. Uh, after that, he'll focus on his personal projects. So he came up with a name back in 09. It's an interesting that, name. I was wondering, I always wanted that too when I hear some of these bands. Like, yeah. yeah. I don't know if you know the story on it, but I always think it's interesting. Like, how in the hell did they come up with that name? Like, you know, it's just, it's crazy how the creative mind works. Definitely. I, I don't think, I don't think I've ever really heard the backstory, like in detail, about where the name came from. I love the name, though. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, awesome. I think it's it's unique too. Like, in I don't know. I, I was just impressed. I'm always impressed by like you know how they come up with names. 
and I guess I'm even a little bit impressed with myself to come up with the Rambling Brews, but <laughs> oh yeah, that's a great name, man. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> there's a little bit, of, or I, I should say, a lot of thought put into it. But uh, yeah, anyway, I, I, you know, I was just wondering too, like, what what genre, I guess, would you guys classify um, the Chalk Dinosaur, you know, discography? Yeah, that's that's a tough question. Um, so oh, I mean, over the years, there's been I think close to like 25 bodies of music released by chalk dinosaur whether it was just john or him and his brother so his brother nick is the drummer and then the bass player is uh their childhood friend they grew up with in north allegheny uh andrew belcastro uh but you know over the years there's just been so much music like if you get on spotify and you look at the discography and all the songs like It'll, yeah, I did. It'll I kind was of like, blow your mind. <laughs> yeah, I was like, holy, like holy shit, they got a lot of music. And for some reason, it maybe just because I did, I didn't know of them until um, you know you kind of joined into that band. Mm-hmm. But I kind of thought like at first, oh yeah, John, you know, just met a couple other guys and like they just started this band. Yeah, that's kind of how I thought. And then I've met them too; they're really nice guys. Um, oh yeah. So, nice but I, I had no idea that they they've been at this for ten, eleven years. So, right, it's, it's impressive that the longevity they've had and. Uh, you know, I was trying to think of that too. Like my wife and I were trying to figure out like what what genre would they classify? I saw some people saying like instrumental funk. Um, not some people. It's just kind of what Spotify tells you is like very similar. Yep, yep. Um, but I, I was interested to see like you know what your what your uh, definition would be. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I can put a label on the entire body of music. Uh, I would say when it comes to live shows, uh, that's a little more consistent and i would say it's kind of like funk rock with like an electric twist there's a lot of like electric elements um so him john as a producer will you know he'll he'll kind of like link in his productions you know using you know the computer or something it's called an octatrack but it's basically like incorporating backing tracks live to what we're playing so you can get a lot of those electronic sounds from like his synthesizers and keyboards and, and what have you. Um, so when we play live, yeah, like funk rock with electric elements. But if you look at the discography and just all the bodies of music, there's like everything, literally. Like there's there's like singer-songwriter songs and albums. There's like real electric, like EDM-heavy albums. There's real like jam band psychedelic albums there's there's even like beachy albums um that that's like a big influence of of john is yeah i i saw on um whenever i was looking on i don't know if it was spotify or or google or whatever it was but i think their first album and maybe um multiple albums after that because now there's there's no lyrics correct or am i wrong on that it's just like actually some well there's some songs it seemed like they do right like Chalk Dinosaur got airplay on WYP um, for the album uh, Songs of an Eastern Wind and Word of the Soul. Yeah, those are the two. And and, and those those albums are like singer-songwriters, so he, he sings on those. And he just did those all himself. Wow. So it, it's interesting, like, uh, a, one Chalk Dinosaur album can be, like, just completely different from the next one. But th- this most recent one does feature the full band uh before that there were i think there were like six releases in 2020 which is crazy 
Yeah, but, that's um, I saw that too. Like how much, and sometimes you know, even back 2017, 2018, 19, I think you know, there's multiple albums. I mean, uh, yep, it's crazy that they're able to put out. And like you said too, I think it's even more fascinating that crack a beer. Let's go. It um, it's even more fascinating that you're able to like have like you said, just totally different sounds for each. You know, usually some artists get their, I guess, until you get to be like big i guess maybe some sometimes you get commercialized mm-hmm. but like most you know you try to find your sound find your lane right but yeah, it seems right. like you know jock dinosaur they can kind of jump around and and it's just crazy like how creative everyone is and, and john like you mentioned uh you know just being able to just the the creative juices that are flowing it would be interesting to sit in on one of those um recording sessions with you guys just to see like what what's going on what's going on in the mind of that you know those people that yeah. are coming up with those ideas yeah it's, it's I funny i fascinated when, by that always yeah thanks it, it's funny when we get together and jam um you know one idea is just completely different from the next and i think that's because you know we've all played music for a while so um you know we have we have a deeper understanding of like music theory and we'll just hop around from one idea to the next but um yeah i think we have a, a cool unique cohesive sound as a band which is a little more kind of straightforward if you want to define it as a as a genre. But then when when John makes music as a producer, he, he'll just go anywhere and <laughs> yeah, whatever, he, he's whatever a real he's talent feeling. with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's. I mean, you're born with that. Like people that can do that, it's it's wild. But I guess while we're on the subject, you know, where can people um, buy your albums or your songs, listen to them? I know we mentioned Spotify, but are they, is it on all the all the streaming platforms and Yep, yeah, it's on all the streaming platforms. Um, you can buy it on Bandcamp. Do you ever go on Bandcamp? I, I actually um, I haven't, but I well, I don't usually, but I did see that whenever I was like looking up Chalk Dinosaur before this uh, interview. But that that's uh, you know that's cool. I, I just wanted to plug that and just make sure people you know that were interested can check you out at least you know Spotify and um, Apple, and then if they want to go ahead and purchase, that'd be great too. Because you know, like I said. You know, we were listening to it over here before and, you know, just trying to, I I've, I mean, I've been to a number of your shows um, over the years, but, and I've always liked the music, uh, but I just wanted to kind of check out this new album. I know it just dropped on New Year's Eve. Yep. Um, yep. So, it is squeak, squeak one last highlight into the worst year of all time, so that's good, maybe, <laughs> and, and the and the bad year on a good note. But, exactly, uh, that's, that was our idea. We were like, all right, let's, let's kick off uh, 2021 on a high note here. <laughs> I, I guess the the last thing I had, um, and you mentioned it, but about live, like playing live music, how it's a little bit different when you guys play live versus, you know, recordings or or different songs. Mm-hmm. Where where are some of the best places you've put uh, you've played live? Best places. Um, so I mean, obviously in Pittsburgh, uh, we've played at a bunch of the venues here, and you know we could get into that. I probably don't have that much time, but. Like the Rex Theater is, uh, I'd say, our favorite place, but unfortunately, it, it closed. Uh, COVID. Yeah, and all that's, the impact. That's terrible. That's like yeah. a classic, um, like a classic venue in in Pittsburgh, correct? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's been well. I think it, I can't remember what year it opened up, but yeah, I mean, it's been a staple for live music in the South Side. Uh, just so much talent coming through there and. It's really a shame that they shut down, but you know there, there's lots of venues in Pittsburgh that are great, like um, the Thunderbird in Lawrenceville. Um, love that place. They actually just renovated everything, and it's beautiful in there. Um, 
what else? Like there's Club Cafe in the South Side. And then you play you play like uh, music festivals and stuff too at times, right? I know you've played. Yep. Um, I want to say was it like Fourth of July or was some major holiday in the city in Pittsburgh where you you played? I don't know if it was the Regatta or something, something like that, right? You played in. Um, or maybe uh, not. Yeah, that that was actually with my uh, my last band. The oh, that's band. right, that's right. Yeah, we played a lot of um, festivals like the Three Rivers Arts Festival, um, festival in the Strip District. Yeah, so um, those those have all been amazing. Pittsburgh does a great job with their festivals, but with with Chalk Dinosaur, I'd say uh, for the festivals, uh, we we were actually booked to play at Electric Forest, which is like one of the biggest festivals in the country. Um, if you haven't heard of that, you should go check it out on YouTube. It's like insane. It's, it's in, uh, these woods in Rothbury, Michigan. They light them up with like all these lights. There's like seven different stages. It's crazy. But unfortunately that got canceled. (laughs) (laughs) 2020. Hopefully, Um, hopefully though, like when things start getting back to normal, you know, those opportunities will still be there and you guys, you know, keep, keep plugging along. I'm sure they will be. I know you. You never know what's what's in the future here with COVID, but yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping for some positive developments. In yeah, just get back to get back to normal, get back to playing live, going to yeah, see man. shows and things. I bet you can't wait for that. But yeah, I, I I just wanted to thank you for taking the time. I appreciate you coming on to the uh, being the first guest on the Ramblin' Brews podcast. I think yeah. people are really going to like uh, you know our, our conversation, and, and hopefully they'll check out the Chalk Dinosaur. I'll put it up on our uh, Twitter account too, and kind of tag you guys in that to try to drive some listens to that. But again, thanks, thanks, thanks for your time. Appreciate it, John. Yeah, hey, and hey, uh, just one last thing that that idea with the beers, drinking a different beer every episode. Yeah, definitely do that. Love that idea. I will. You gotta you gotta feed me some uh, <laughs> your your IPA and uh, craft beer expertise. Cause yeah, I can definitely. Otherwise, do that. I'll just be googling it. Or, or you know, I want people to send me in some requests and things. I know some of the beers that are like the, I guess the upper echelon uh, craft beers are like the most well-known ones, but mm-hmm. there's just so many of them. I'm just, you know, I might just go in the beer store one day and just, you know, grab a random one. I saw one that, uh, you may have had it, I don't know, but I saw one the other day that is called Fuck COVID. <laughs> so I wanted to That's buy that. I, so I want I might do that one first just to see what it tastes like. Yeah, it's um, probably real strong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know what their percentage is, but... Uh, that's what that's what I'm planning on doing. So I think that'll be a, an interesting segment, and uh, just try to maybe expand my horizons a little bit here. <laughs> oh, that's great, man. All right. Well, hey, thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right, man. Take care. What a great interview. I really hope you guys enjoyed it. I had a blast talking to my buddy John, shooting the breeze, uh, ragging the puck a little bit, just talking about beers, talking about his. Um, philosophy on it and kind of his take on what my uh, rant was about and then talking about his music you know his music is great uh that chalk dinosaur band is awesome i think you guys should check it out as i mentioned during the interview but at chalk dinosaur on twitter at chalk dinosaur on instagram you can search them on as he as john mentioned in the interview um you can search them on spotify on apple um any of the major streaming platforms and uh you know i i really think you should check them out they're a great band they're great guys so uh, and we love to support them here on the rambling Bruce podcast so the last thing i want to say uh before signing off here on episode two of the rambling Bruce podcast is last week i mentioned that there were a lot of movies that i hadn't seen uh i asked people to reach out to me and, and send me some suggestions and i got some suggestions and lord help me lord help me i'm not sure there's enough cores light in the case to deal with it 
But the most requested movie I got was the first Lord of the Rings movie. Now, you might not think that this is the worst thing in the world, but if you're me, just remember, I don't like these kind of movies. At least I don't think I do. I'm not interested really in watching them. So I Googled it and watched the trailer, and the trailer was okay. You know, it was like, I'm probably going to get roasted for this too, but I was like, I looked at my wife and said, well, like this is... This is like Harry Potter, essentially, but <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to get roasted for that. Um, but then I looked at the time. Three hours and 48 fucking minutes. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Okay, I'll watch it. I'm not going to guarantee I'm going to watch the whole thing from start to finish. I might have to take a little bit of a break in between, do something else to, you know, give me a palate cleanse, a palate cleanse. And and maybe after that, maybe after I watch this, if I, if I don't like it at all, I'll just go watch Slapshot. You know, that's one of my favorite movies. I think that'll really cleanse the palate uh, from from these kinds of movies that I don't like. But uh, I'm going to have a ton of beer on ice. And uh, that's that's pretty much the only thing I'm going to be able to do to get through that movie. But that's what we're going to do. We're going to watch uh, the Lord of the Rings, the first movie. Um, and then I'll be back next week to, to discuss it. And uh, I'm going to give my honest feedback. I'm not going to be purposely negative. But I'm really going to just try to understand. And, and maybe... Uh, you know, people can tweet me, people can text me about, you know, things I should look for or, you know, things of that nature. Because I really have no idea what to expect. I never read the books. Um, I never really had any interest in the movies. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But that's going to be the that's going to be the uh, new segment we're going to do on the podcast. And uh, also, as I mentioned in the in the interview with John Henderson there with from from Chalk Dinosaur, um in the coming weeks, I'm going to be doing a new segment as well where I'm going to try craft beers. I'm going to take certain craft beers that people suggest, similar to the movie segment, uh, and I'm going to try them, and I'm going to give my honest feedback. And so I want people to tweet me. I want people to text me. I want people to reach out to me in whatever way they can and just let me know what, what types of beers you think I should try and what certain um, IPAs or certain craft beers I should try. And, and I'll give it a shot. Maybe I'll expand my horizons, but more than likely, I'll probably just say, yeah, this shit's trash, and I'll just go back to Coors Light. So with that being said, may your ice-cold beer stay cold. May you have a good week. And remember, if I don't see you around here, I'll see you around here. been a real close family but lately some of my kin folks have disowned a few others and me i guess it's because i kind of changed my direction lord i guess i went and broke their family tradition